We're going to talk today about something called a trade secret. A trade secret is something we're going to really look at because we're going to start. I want to tell you a story about how my family, we used to live in a place called Lowell, Massachusetts. And in Lowell, Massachusetts, you can see we have these lovely mills and a canal. And when my family lived in Lowell, Massachusetts, they had an opportunity to take a tour of the historical society. And there they heard a story. Now, whether the story is completely fact or completely fiction, that's actually part of what I'm going to show you. So you can fact check me as I'm going through here, and don't worry, I'm aware that there may be some urban myth here. So they told a story to my family that there was a man named Lowell. What was his name? His name was Francis Cabot Lowell, and he had an opportunity to see the kind of things that were happening in the Industrial Revolution, especially in England, and he had an opportunity to figure out what was going on there and get the secrets, the trade secret, the things that were special that allowed the magic to happen with the textile industry. He learned those things in England, brought them back here, and it allowed there to be an amazing wave of development that led to the American Industrial Revolution. Now, it's interesting. They heard that story, and then my family moved. And I'm now about one year old when we move, and we move to a place called Lincoln, Massachusetts. And in our church building, our church is a result of a couple churches merging together, and one of the previous churches was located in Pawtucket. And there was a picture of a mill, and my parents said, wait a second, why do you have a picture of a Lowell Mill and the Industrial Revolution? Why do you have that picture here? Isn't that part of Lowell? But you see, in Rhode Island, Samuel Slater, they tell another story. That a guy named Samuel Slater, he went to England, and he saw all the amazing things going on in the textile industry. And while they did not allow those specific secrets to be openly shared, he went through and he memorized everything, and he looked, and he said, wow, they've got this process and this machine, and they do the loom this way, and they've got the assembly line here. And he put it all in his head, and he came back to America, and he started putting it together in the Slater Mill. Now, what's really interesting is that my parents then were like confused because they said, wait a second, why are we hearing the same story in Lowell and the same story in Rhode Island? It seems like, it seems like this is two versions of the same story. Now, if you look online, because they didn't really have the internet back then, it was not a thing yet. If you look online, you'll see that closer to the truth is probably it started with Slater, and that Lowell really was part of the later movement. But what we do know is that trade secrets made the difference for this. That there was something, and we'll put it on the screen, yep. A trade secret, once revealed, provides a huge advantage. When people went over to England, they started seeing all this production, and they saw all these processes, and they didn't quite get how. They knew that it would work, they knew it would advance the economy. They weren't quite clear how we got there. Once that knowledge was revealed to the industrialists in America, what did it do? It led to mills all over New England, all over our country, and eventually all over the world. Now, the interesting thing is that a trade secret could be economic. An economic trade secret is used to make money. We also have something called a personal trade secret. 
Have you ever wondered if there's more for your life? Have you ever wondered that? Is there more? Is there, you look around, you see things happening, and you say, I see the result of that. I don't quite know how we got there. A personal trade secret we use to be fulfilled or to feel a greater sense of fulfillment. With life, we know that ultimately our greatest trade secret, the only trade secret we need for happiness is Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself says directly in John's gospel, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, it's interesting because we live in a world where there's a lot of attempts even after, because you're going to see in this text today that the Apostle Paul is telling people, here's the secret. Here's the secret. And that's thousands of years ago. Yet still, we have a self-help industry. And we have, they all know this. They all know, ultimately, that if they sold you the ultimate thing that would make your life fulfilled, you wouldn't be buying anything the next day. There would be no industry. So the reality is, is there's a lot of searches for truth in our society. And I want to kind of delineate a few. You may be used to a couple of these, and you may have wondered about them. We're going to throw a graphic on the screen. Sometimes I can say, hey, I have a specific problem. So there must be some trade secret or some, some thing that will solve my problem for me. And if I do that, well, then I'll be happy. This is a major part of self-help. Sometimes we say, hey, I have all these problems. Have you ever felt this? I don't have one problem in my life, but I have all these different things together. And maybe there's just this one secret, this one way that everything can be better. Sometimes we say, hey, I want to feel amazing. We look around. We have a lot of this in our social media age, don't we, with Instagram. One of the things we hear all the research, especially with our young ladies, looking on Instagram, scrolling on Instagram for hours, comparing, saying, I want to be amazing. The people on social media seem to be amazing. What am I missing? Have you ever felt this way? What am I missing? Maybe it's comparing to people. Maybe it's just simply saying, hey, I want my life to be better than it is right now. I want my life to be better than my friends. I want my life to be better than my parents' life was, no matter what it is. And so we have people that search for some sort of a secret truth. This is a great part of our society, and it's, if you look, I invite you to do this. Watch your commercials. Now, generationally, I know that if you're kind of a, in the baby boomer category, the main way you may experience commercials is probably through maybe your cable TV, you're, you're watching cable TV and you have commercials. If you're younger and you're like me and you've cut the cord and we don't have cable, you now get YouTube commercials because we don't pay for premium YouTube and we still get targeted. Or you go on Facebook maybe, or you go on whatever form of social media. I want you to start looking at the commercials you get and I want you to start saying, which of these are they targeting? Are they saying, hey, I have this one specific problem, so here's a fix? Are they saying, hey, I have all these problems, like a total life makeover, and so here's the fix? Are they saying, hey, your life is okay, but you want to feel amazing, here's how? Or are they simply saying, hey, this is the way to keep up with the Joneses? Now, the challenge is, is that if we just pursue these, if we just say, if I can do these that's going to fix my life. That ends up being a bit of a false gospel. So what I want to show you is I want to show you what the Apostle Paul says. 
in his text to the Colossians, he acknowledges, and let's recap, the Apostle Paul is a guy named Saul of Tarsus who has a wonderful conversion, turns to Jesus, then he spends some time learning, and now he goes on these missions, and he plants churches, and he plants churches, and he plants churches, and eventually he gets arrested because people don't like what he's doing, and he gets thrown in jail. And he's probably sitting in jail in a place called Ephesus. And at Ephesus, now we have this letter that we're spending a number of weeks on, and he's writing to a church he did not start, to a people he's never met, and he's ultimately writing to a church that he will never get to because we know that later this town, Colossae, is actually destroyed by an earthquake. And they're facing two big pressures. Pressure number one is external. They're facing all this pressure to conform to culture. Then they're also facing the second pressure, which is to deal with internal pressures to conform to religious legalism. I need more rules, and if I have more rules, then I'll be okay. The challenge is, is that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. It's not about Jesus plus culture, and it's not about Jesus plus legalism. It's about, hey, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus every day in every way. So what I want to show you is that even though Paul knew there would always be a search for truth, and there is, we have it in our society today, we have it in our lives today, again, look at those ads, no matter the fact that Paul always knew that there would be a search for truth and there would always be searchers, Paul says very clearly there is a secret. Jesus lives in you. That's the secret. Anything else is false. If you say, okay, Jesus lives in me also, no, we got to be careful. The also isn't helpful. And so our big idea today is going to be really simple. Who will I share Jesus with today? And I put two different categories on here. Maybe I need to share Jesus with myself. Maybe I'm in a situation where I've been doing Jesus plus, Jesus plus culture. Maybe I've been doing Jesus plus religious legalism. Maybe I've been doing Jesus minus. Maybe I've been saying, hey, Jesus is this fuzzy idea that I sort of am not sure about. I don't have any sort of real relationship with him. Nothing about Jesus really changes my life. All the sin problems in my life are still there, and they're kind of eating me alive, and I'm really upset and miserable. But when I think of Jesus, it's this fuzzy idea, and I sort of feel okay maybe. So maybe I say, hey, today is the day we're going to be talking about sharing faith. Maybe I need to share faith with myself. Maybe I need to say, God loves me. He sent Jesus. Jesus is the answer. I can have faith. I can repent of my sin and say, Jesus, Lord, would you, would you come into my life, be part of my life, be the center of my life, and allow me to move forward? That may be where you are today. Maybe that's a first time, and maybe that's a rededicate. But I'm going to also say you might be in another category. Maybe you're in a place where you're walking with Jesus. And we've been doing this four-and-a-half-hour sermon. I joke that this isn't a sermon series. It's really one sermon for nine weeks about Jesus be the center of my life, of my church, of my neighborhood, of my faith, of my family, etc., right? And so maybe you're saying, David, you know, I'm walking with the Lord. Jesus is really pretty much the center of my life. Jesus does change me. I pray with my spouse or my children or just myself if I 
am single. I have this opportunity to share my faith in our home, in my place of work. I do start to see that the finished redemptive work of Jesus has now changed my life. I am a different person than when I first got to know Jesus. I am different. I am changed. Not perfect, but I'm different. And so then the question is, okay, who will I share Jesus with today? And this sometimes is one of the big, scary things that we start to think of as faith. Because we know all of what what it says in Scripture. We know that Jesus sends out the disciples. He doesn't just say, hey, disciples, congratulations, you have 12 physicians. You're here. Don't talk to anybody. Live a comfortable life. We also know that the early church sends out people all over the world, and the message of Jesus changes people. And we also know that when we see Christian communities really take seriously the fact that we can share the good news of Jesus, we see that it changes families. We see that it brings people out of drug addiction. We see that it literally restores marriages. We see that it can transform communities. Yet, when we have the opportunity to talk about sharing Jesus, it can be scary. Can we admit that it can be scary? Let's admit Let's, let's nod the head. It's scary for all of us, even for your pastors, because what? We had a conversation this past week. We have a leader lunch. We talked about, hey, what are some of the barriers that you see to sharing your faith? One of the things we talked about is, hey, if I go ahead and share my faith and the other person doesn't receive it well, they're going to think I'm a weird religious person now. Am I right? He'll think, like, what is this guy doing? Like, I thought he was normal David. He's a weird religious guy. That's not helpful. I, can we go back to having David being my neighbor and just leaving me alone? And so the challenge is, and right, and so I'm going to preview the very end. So we've come up with a framework. We want to give you a framework that you can use in every single relationship to not do that, to not freak people out, to not be weird, to not make them uncomfortable, but to prayerfully enhance every relationship with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus Not rules, just value added of saying, hey, we want to show you that I cannot be weird and still love Jesus and still allow his message to be shared with other people. So we're going to do that. And to get there, I want to show you a couple things about trade secrets. There is a trade secret. His name is Jesus. It was hidden. Okay, here's, let's look in the text. So Paul very clearly says, this message was kept secret for centuries and for generations past. What is the secret? Here's the secret. How could non-Jews join the family of God? This is a whole thing in the Old Testament. One of the reasons people are confused by the Bible is because it seems like there's a New Testament that's about Jesus. Amen? And then there's an Old Testament about Jewish people that seems exclusive and it seems a little different. So one of the questions that Paul wants to answer, not only for this church, the Colossian church, but also for us, is, hey, let's explain some of the Old Testament. How could non-Jews join God's family? Because remember my example of the mills. If you went to England, you could see a mill. It would produce textiles in a really powerful way, and it totally changed their economy. But no one could figure out how that happened until whether it was Francis Cabot Lowell or whether it was Samuel Slater, until they brought the trade secret here and shared it with everybody. In the same way, there was this question, how could non-Jewish people join God's family? Because look at three exclusive things. You have this guy, Abraham. 
He has a long, slow walk of faith. God selects him. His dad, Terah, was probably supposed to follow God, but he stops. We don't know why. We know that this guy, Abram at the time, he has a special line. And so God says, your line is going to be special. And that sounds wonderful, but it's exclusive, right? A special line means certain families are the family of God and certain aren't. So this is a challenge. Then you have this guy, Moses. Have we seen the Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston, okay. See, I asked that question five years ago. There were a lot more yeses than there are now. That's a lost movie at this point. It's kind of right up there with Ben-Hur. Now, so one of the questions was, how could non-Jews join God's family when God's family has a law and everybody else is just all over the place? So it was a question. Then there was this shepherd boy who becomes a king named David, and God says, hey, your throne, your throne line is going to be eternal. And again, the problem here is if you're not a Jewish person and you're looking at this, you're like, okay, that's cool. So God has set up a special family with a special law and a special kingdom. But what about me? That was the trade secret. Are you with me? So that's one of the great questions of the Old Testament is, so what about those of us who aren't ethnically Jewish? How can we join God's family? That was the trade secret that was hidden. I want you to think of, for this, what's considered the greatest trade secret. In 1886, a guy named Dr. Pemberton. Who's Dr. Pemberton? He created what? Coca-Cola. But what he really created was the most famous trade secret in the world. It's called Merchandise 7X. Has anyone ever heard of this? So Merchandise 7X is the secret ingredient in Coke. If you Google or you talk to an AI and either way say, what is the ingredients of Coke? And I joke about that, but my wife knows that sometimes I argue with the AI. So am, am I joking, Laura? Where is she? I'm not joking. So I'm not. Now, if you look up the ingredient for Coke, you can't actually make Coca-Cola. Do you know why? Because only about four people in the world have the recipe for Merchandise 7X. It's currently locked in a vault. They have not patented it. If you patent something, you have to disclose the ingredient. Nobody wanted to do that. So there is a secret ingredient to Coke. Have you ever had knockoff cola? Do you know, have you noticed that it doesn't taste like Coca-Cola? It's because they don't have that. If you had merchandise 7X, you could create Coca-Cola. It's not patented, so you could legally create Coca-Cola, and you could have your own Coca-Cola that would spread everywhere. Now, why do I bring that up? Because that is like the hidden secret during the Old Testament time of how non-Jews could be part of God's family. So I want to give you something to ponder, and then I'm going to be a little silly with it. Am I aware that being part of God's family is a special gift? Because non-Jewish people could become part of God's family, and it would happen from time to time in the Old Testament, but no one really understood that. And now Paul is literally saying, hey, being part of God's family is a special gift. This is important because if we want to share our faith, you only share something that's good, that's a gift. I don't grab pocket lint or whatever this is and say, who would like this? This is a candy wrapper from a Dove chocolate bar that I had yesterday. Anybody want this? This is not a special gift. Can you agree? Anybody? Is this appealing? So if our faith to us is like this candy wrapper, why would we give it to anybody? We have to understand it's a special gift. I want you to think like of the cow. 
Do you know what a cow does? A cow ruminates. What's ruminating? Ruminating is where you take something in and digest it and take it in again and digest it. I want you to ruminate on, a, on something. Think of this for a second. God's family is special. Write that down. Jot it in your phone. I'm serious. Write it down. Because if we're going to share something that isn't special, nobody wants to share this. If you come to me today and say faith and being part of God's family isn't really special for me, then please don't share it. Please realize first, ruminate. God's family is special. It's special to be a child of God. We're all made in the image of God, but in Romans 8, it talks about receiving a spirit of adoption so that we are adopted in the family of God. That's a special thing. That is the trade secret. That's what we want. Ruminate on that. God's family is special. And so therefore, when it's revealed, let's look at this. So when it's revealed, the trade secret's revealed, what does that mean? Here's what Paul says. This is the secret. So if anybody else tries to say, you remember all those other things, oh, it's about feeling great. No, it's not about feeling great. Oh, it's about your one problem. No, it's not about your one problem. Oh, it's about all your problems. No, it's not all about your one, all your problems. Oh, it's about being better than your neighbor. No, the meaning of life, the secret of life is Jesus. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. If you love Jesus, if you believe in him, if you have faith, you're part of the family of God. I invite you, God's family is special. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Now, when we think back to our mills, and I'll, I'll tie this all together, watch what we're going to do. Remember those mills? If the secret hadn't been a big deal, it wouldn't have created the mills in every town. Have you ever driven through a town in New England and seen old mill buildings? There's a lot of them. Why? Let's talk about why. Whether Lowell was first or Slater was first, it was probably Slater. What we do know is that the idea, the trade secret of mass-produced textiles went from one town to another, and it made people a lot of money, and it employed a lot of people, and that meant that it spread. And so if you go all over New England, you'll see it. And then eventually these mills spread to other parts of the country, down the coast and to the south. And then eventually overseas, it created a movement. But what I want you to do is sometimes when we look at an old mill building, we feel sad because we're like, uh, it's kind of sad that the world has changed. But every time we see an old mill building, I want you to think the trade secret of the textile industry was shared, it was hidden in England, then it was shared, then it spread, and that's how the gospel spreads. It was hidden. It has been shared, and now it's spread. So when you drive by, maybe you drive through Westboro, Massachusetts, and you see a mill building, say, wow, thank you, God. That reminds me that the gospel spreads. Wow, what an amazing thing. And here's the thing. What happens when the trade secret's out? It naturally spreads. So what can we ruminate on? What can we look at today and say, this is really helpful for me to think of? Because the first thing I wanted you to imagine is God's family is special. Okay, let's look at this. So if God's family is special, the good news of Jesus spreads. That ultimately, I'm not selling a bad product. I'm not selling a product. I've got a secret, and if it changes my life, it's no longer a secret, it's revealed. 
the good news of Jesus, therefore, what happens? It will partially, naturally spread. I want you to look around in this room. There are people here who know Jesus, probably not necessarily because you told them. That's some natural spreading. Look around. Everybody look for a moment. Do you see Christians in the room? If you're joining us online, think of Christians in your life. We don't have to beat ourselves up about telling people about Jesus because the gospel naturally spreads. If it changes me, it partially naturally spreads. And therefore, what I can also say is, hey, even though I haven't necessarily told people about Jesus every day of my life, God is still working. Even though I haven't necessarily told Jesus about everybody about Jesus every day of my life, the church has still grown all over the world. It's naturally spread. And so that takes us to what I want to show you as a framework. It's based on what Paul says to the Colossians, and we're going to call it share. He says this, so we tell others about Christ. And telling people about Jesus can be scary. And telling people about Jesus can make me feel weird. So what I want to do is I want to first tell you about a guy that I met named Stefan. A couple months ago, my wife and I were down in Georgia for a conference. We were at a river walk, and we had an opportunity to walk by, and we saw a guy. We're in Georgia, and he's wearing a Jalen Brown jersey. How weird is that? Jalen Brown for the Celtics. So a Celtics jersey in Georgia. Pretty weird, right? This is not a Trey Young jersey. We're in Georgia, and he's wearing a Jalen Brown jersey. And he's drinking a bottle of wine in public. So what is that cue to me? Oh, this is a perfect person to go talk to. I'm like, this is an interesting character to go talk to. So I walk up and talk to him. And we start to go, and I start to listen to his life. We start to hear about what he's doing. And eventually he finds out that we're Christians. And now he has all sorts of questions. And so that encounter and countless other encounters of people in our church talking about this, sharing our faith, have got us saying, hey, is there a way using Paul's idea so we share, so we tell others about Christ, is there a way to share our faith without being weird? Who would like that? That'd be pretty cool. Let's raise our hands if you'd like a way to share your faith without being weird. Okay, so here's what we've done. I'm going to show you each of the letters. Then I'm going to invite my dad to come up and give a little testimony. And then what we're going to do is we're going to bring you down. We're going to give you cards and we're going to give you an activity. Here's S. Start with prayer. Imagine any person that you would like to know about Jesus. Sometimes we say, hey, the challenge is, is that I don't know where to begin. Have you ever faced this? I want to share my faith, but I don't know where to begin. And, and I'm not doing anything because of that. So here's your first active thing, and it's what we're going to do at the end of the service. Start with prayer. Identify two people, write their names down, and start praying for them every day. These two people don't know Jesus, but they know you. Start by praying for them. Then, in your relationships. Now, if you notice, I don't say, now also tell them, hey, I'm praying for you. You don't know Jesus. You're a lost person. So, right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying start by praying them. Now... When you're with them, hear them. Hearing is beyond listening. Listening is simply acknowledging that there's input coming from you to me and I uh, wait for it to happen. Hearing is when I actually allow what you say to enter into my life 
and I'm able to mirror it back and say, here's where you're at. Not my take, but here's where you're at. I want you to hear from two people. I want you to hear from the other person and from the Holy Spirit. Let me explain what I mean. The challenge can be, sometimes we get really excited to tell people about Jesus, we get really energetic, and we start to say, hey, I believe the Holy Spirit, I'll give you a real story, is calling me to go up to someone's house, knock on the door, open the door, walk in and say, do you love and know Jesus? This happened. And then the cops got called and said, please don't ever do that again, because that's not helpful. Saying, hey, I love Jesus, you should love Jesus too, and entering your house without permission is not hearing the Holy Spirit, and it's not hearing the other person. As we're praying for people and starting to say, wow, I have an opportunity to share my faith, if the other person isn't ready, I just keep praying for them, because the Holy Spirit will tell me the time, and the other person, if they're looking like they've been shot with a taser every time I start to even go even mildly spiritual with them, that's a good sign that it's better to talk about how bad the patriots are. Amen? Okay. E, let me show you this. I mean, A, sorry. Accept where the other person is. We struggle with this. We want to change people. Do you want to change people? Who here struggles? I usually don't make you put your hand up. I'm going to put my hand up. Who struggles with wanting to change people? A lot of us do. A lot of hands in the room. Except where the other person is. Doesn't mean you're endorsing it. Doesn't mean, hey, you're imploding your life and I'm so happy you're doing that. No, I'm just going to accept you are where you are and I pray and love for you anyways. Jesus saw people, had compassion on them because they were lost. Except where the other people are. Keep praying for them. Are. This one is really helpful. Remember, it's about Jesus. There is no stat line in Faith Community Church leader room, because there's no leader room, there's no room where we keep secret stats, where we keep check marks of number of people that we've told about Jesus and we have some tally list, right? This is not a competition. It's about Jesus. It's not about me telling people about Jesus. It's about Jesus. When I share my faith, it's about Jesus. And E, expect God to work. Sometimes when we tell people about Jesus or we do something, if we just enter it into it with a bad attitude, what happens? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So there's our share framework. I'm going to invite Pastor Stan to now tell you how to get started. Our worship team is going to come up, and I'd like to just share a testimony from early in my ministry. There's a young couple that started attending a church when Regina and I were young. And they had a couple kids, and they got active in our church, and they came to faith. And it was exciting. That's a great thing to see. Amen? New couple comes to church. They didn't have a church background. They didn't have a faith background. They came to faith. They got involved with our church. And they were in their 30s, and the guy died suddenly. It was a very tragic death. It was awful. And I did the funeral. And a while after the funeral, a woman in our church came to me and said, Pastor Stan, do you remember a couple years ago when our district superintendent came to our church and invited us to write down two names to pray for? And she said, I did. And she said, that was a couple that came to our church. She said, the only thing I did was write their names down. And I was praying for them. And eventually they started coming to church and they came to faith. And she said, I didn't even really think about it. I just had written their names down, and I had prayed for them. And she said, I am so thankful that I was asked to pray for two people. Because the two people who I wrote down 
came to faith, came to our church, and now my friend has passed away, and I am so thankful that he came to faith first. Are we hearing that? Evangelism isn't us going out and telling somebody first. Evangelism is identifying people in our lives that we know need Jesus and praying for them. Do I get an amen? Amen. It starts with prayer. So Pastor David and I have these cards, and we're just simply going to, as we do our last song, I just invite you to come get the card. If you're not ready to write a name down, that's okay. Maybe you will be later today. But the cards have on the one side the framework that we've come up with of how to share our faith, start with prayer, hear from the Holy Spirit and the other person, accept where the other person is, remember it's about Jesus, expect God to work, and on the other side, we're simply asking you to write two names down. And you know what we want you to do with the two names? Keep them and pray for them. This isn't for you to share with somebody else or to give to somebody else. This is for us to say we live in a hurting world. We live in a world where people need to know Jesus. And as Pastor David said earlier in the message, maybe it's ourselves. Maybe we ourselves are struggling with something that we really need a more genuine faith and we need to put our own name down. So I'm going to, at this time, invite everybody to stand. I invite you on each side just to come forward and to receive a card. Take a moment if you need to and pray as you're up here receiving one and to take them back to your seats.